So let's go to James chapter 1. Let me pray for us. And then I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would um, give us all another. I believe you already probably have this morning, even as we sang. Fill us again this morning with a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit. We need you. Some of us have done this church thing on a Sunday morning a billion times. And Lord, this is not just another Sunday. This is another opportunity for us to encounter the living God as he descends on his people and stirs them up to live for his glory. Lord, so much is at stake in this room, in our own hearts, and in the hearts of those that we go to school with and work with and hang out with. And so I pray you would interrupt my and anyone else in this room who has any passivity towards you, anyone who's been coasting this morning, And I ask that you would interrupt us and ignite us as men and as women to live exactly how you want us to live and to make the changes we need in order to do that. Spirit, I pray that you would meet your word in our hearts, even as it's read and preached this morning, that as we read your word, you would give us the mind to understand it, that you would give us the heart to believe it, You give us the will to love it, that we would love what we read, and that we would then do it. We'd live in the freedom of it. And so come, Spirit, and work in our lives in a fresh and unique way. And Lord, if anyone, any of my friends in this room this morning are just maybe they're crushed, Lord, discouraged, hopeless, I ask that your word and your spirit would bring them to a place of comfort and hope this morning. May no one leave here this morning hopeless. No one. So Spirit, bring hope Bring peace and bring fresh joy. Thank you, Jesus, for your life and your death and your resurrection and your ascension on our behalf so we could even get together this morning. Thank you that I'm lying in bed with a hangover this morning, but I'm here instead. That's your work, so thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us and giving us life. Now help us to to live it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, here we go. James, let me, before I read it, how many of you were here when I did the, the, the overview of James? Were any of you here for the overview? Okay, so anybody remember what like maybe the big picture overview was of the book of James? Okay, faith was one of them. What do you guys remember? Jesus! Excellent. The word God, Jesus, and Lord is used more times in this book than any other book. So if you read it and you don't find Jesus, you're missing something because it's there. And I missed it for a long time. So it's Jesus. And Jesus wants to make sure that we don't wander. No wandering from the faith. Because he says in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, that if you wander, you will die. Eternally die. If you wander and you don't get brought back. So James is addressing all these different ways that you could wander. So this morning we're going to look at one of those. Verse 16, chapter 1. Do not be deceived. My brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which 
is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's word. Amen. 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 So James has a question for us from this text. And the question is, I think, pretty simple. How seriously do you take the word of God? When you open this book, when you hear a sermon, how seriously do you take what God has to say to you? See, James, what he's addressing is here, is he wants us to be prepared to receive God's word and to know how to respond to God's word. Now, I say this section I just read is all about God's word because if you notice, there's five references to the word of God. Look at them with me. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word. Verse 22, but be doers of the word. Verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word. And then in verse 25, he switches the language, but means the same thing. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. What James is doing here is he's trying to get you to consider how do you think about and process God's word when you read it or when you're sitting under the preaching of it? How seriously do you take it? How do you approach it? What are you looking to get out of it? What's the end goal? Now, what I want to do for just a second here is I I want to back up because it's not fair to just jump into this passage without having some context of what happened just prior to this. So, so listen, many of you already know the first 18 verses, and they talk about trials, right? And temptations, you guys familiar with that? In the very first verses of this letter. So what James is doing here at the very beginning, before he starts to really just go at us with how do you respond to God's word, is he realizes that many of us are stuck in trials. We face temptations every day. As a church, you can feel stuck in a trial, like you're being tempted every day. And it's almost as if James comes along under the power of the Spirit. He realizes that you are looking down, that you are consumed with your trial, that you are overwhelmed with the temptations that come with the trial. And James comes along, and what he wants to do is, in your trial, he wants to lift your chin. So that's what he does. He begins by lifting your chin in verse 4. If you want to look, verse 4, he wants to get your attention. So he comes along, and he lifts up your chin, and he says, look, the purpose of this trial, this temptation, is so that you will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. Trials usually take things away from from you, don't they? You may say it's a trial because I'm losing something that I don't want to lose. And James says, well, even as you lose that, you're actually gaining because the whole point of the trial is that you won't lack anything. So you may look around this room and think, man, we're lacking. James says, no, trials actually do the reverse. It's not that you're lacking. It's that now God is going to make it so you don't lack anything. So he lifts up your chin. 
how do you think about your trial? And then he, he does it even more. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life promised to those who love him. So he raises your chin a little more. You realize that in these trials, you're going to be blessed if you persevere because, raise your chin, you're going to get the crown of life. You persevere for the sake of eternity, not tomorrow. So he lifts your chin. And then I, I just love this last section, verses 16 through 18. He lifts your chin one more time by reminding you that God is good. And that's hard to receive when you're in a trial. So James wants to make sure that you're not deceived. Verse 16, in your trial, don't be deceived. God is still good. He's unchangeable, James says, which means he will always do good to you. Everything that God does is good. Every trial, every temptation, everything you go through comes from a good God who has, according to verse 18, brought you forth by the word of God so that you would be born again to a living hope. That's what he's doing. So he's raising up your chin. He's not ignoring the fact that you're probably going, because we all are, to some degree, facing some trial or temptation. So he addresses that. He cares for us. He raises your chin. He comes alongside. He wants you to feel God's care. And then he turns the corner. And he says, okay, I cared for you. You received comfort. You've had a chance to process your trial. You've had a chance to talk about your trial. You've had a chance to, to grow through your trial. Now it's time to move on. Now it's time, James says, to turn the corner, to stop focusing on the trial, and to start focusing on moving ahead. And it's all linked to how you interact with God's word. So let's look at what James has to say to us about God's word. The first thing I want you to, to notice from this is if you look at verse 18, and I just said a second ago, that he brought us forth by the word of truth. You have been brought forth by the word of truth. Elsewhere in scripture, we don't have time to go there. The word of truth is the gospel. And then verse 21, he says, the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So I want you to see before we even jump into the rest of the passage is that God's word, the gospel, Jesus, this book is meant to work in your heart in such a way that it saves your soul. That is amazing. So I think he comes right out and says from the outset, look, as you think about coming to this book, think, if the Spirit meets this in my soul, it'll be saved. And if the Spirit doesn't meet my soul in this book, I'm not saved. So life or death hinge on how you respond to receive this book of truth about God and what the Spirit and Jesus have done for us in, and in us. So why do you want to pay attention to what James says about God's word? Here's why. Because it's a matter of life or death. And so James wants to prepare us for receiving the word and then how to respond to the word. James wants to make sure that we don't see this book as just another app on your phone. Just more information. I got a newspaper. I've got some web pages, some blogs, a Bible, grocery list. James is concerned for me, for us, that when we encounter this book, 
we approach it from a very different point of view than we do anything else that we ever, ever, ever read. So let's look at what he says. I got four things here that he says. He wants us to hear the word, receive the word, remember the word, and do the word. Simple. Hear it, receive it, remember it, do it. So number one, he says this. I want you to hear the word. Look at verse 19. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In essence, what he's saying is, be quick to hear. Hurry up and listen. Be on the edge of your seat, ready to hear what God has to say. Now, we need to ask ourselves, quick to hear what? And I've already kind of told you the answer, right? Quick to hear what? The word. Yeah, that's context, right? So he's saying, I want you to be quick, quick to hear the word of God. Verse 18 is about the word of God, which comes before 19. And verse 20 has the word of God in it, which comes after 19. Therefore, it's sandwiched between this whole idea of the word of God, right? So he's saying, I want you to be quick to hear the word of God, quick to hear it, slow to speak back to the word of God and slow to get angry at the word of God. Now, when my kids were little, I had them memorize these verses because I said to them, you guys can't get angry at each other or at mom and dad. So I want you to be quick to hear what we say, slow to speak at us, and slow to get angry. I've also sat in small group settings where a couple begins to share their conflicts. Someone pulls out this verse. You guys need to start listening more and stop being so quick to speak. If you guys were slower to listen and quicker to speak and quicker to get angry, you wouldn't have conflicts. It wasn't until I started studying this passage that I realized that this passage has absolutely nothing to do with human relationships. It has nothing to do with your horizontal relationships. This verse has to do with you and God. It has to do with how you respond when God speaks to you. Will you be eager to listen to it? Or are you going to get quick to be angry at it, and to talk back to it. I don't know, when you read your Bible, I talk back to my Bible. Sometimes it's, no way! Or, that can't be for me, that was for them in their day. And a whole host of other excuses that I can make up for why something is not relevant to my heart. And James is saying, don't do it. Be quick to listen to God's word and to God speak to you through his word. Sit on the edge of your seat. Sit up. Listen. Don't miss what God has to say and be slow to get angry at it and to speak back to it. Now, it's very possible that in James's context, when he went out to preach the word, it was interactive. So somebody could stand up and say, you're an idiot. Shut up. Sit down and argue. So it could be that he is actually addressing in that assembly, hey, could you guys not be so quick to speak, so quick to get angry at me, and, and, and just listen up? So it could be that. I, I think just as probably he's addressing the attitude that we can have in our heart to rationalize Scripture, or to get angry, or defensive, or to resist it, or to ignore it. Maybe there's places in God's Word where you go, yep, I would rather not read those verses, or I don't want to apply those, or I sure hope that one's really not for today. This is, I think, very relevant to how God's word always has landed on human hearts. Think with me about God's people and their history. What did they do to the prophets when they came with the word of God? They put them inside a hollowed out log and sawed them in two. 
when Jesus came as the word, what did they do to him? They crucified him. When the disciples, the apostles came with the word, what happened to them? Beaten, stoned, hung, crucified. In fact, James, somewhere between 62 and 68 AD, was taken to the pinnacle of the temple to the top. They were so sick of hearing him preach the word that they took him and they threw him off. There's three historians that say that when he fell, they took him to the top and they pushed him off, that he landed and he didn't die. So they began to stone him. And the stoning didn't work, so finally a guy came with a club and smacked him in the head. Now you would say, I would never respond to God's word with that degree of violence. But you understand that there is a violent activity that goes on inside of your soul every time you encounter this book. There is a war between your flesh wanting to be quick to speak and get angry and the spirit of God that wants it to come to life in your soul. God's word probably will rub you the wrong way at some point. And we need to be aware of that. Although we like to say, I love God's word, James wants to help us understand what that really means and looks like. So he says, know this in verse 19. Know this to be true. Be quick to listen. Believe that this is right. Be on the edge of your seat. Eager for God's word. Hungry for God's word. Gather with God's people and listen to God's word. Read God's word. And then be slow to speak and get angry at it. Be aware of the pushback in your heart or your desires to twist it or downplay or soften it. Because how you respond, according to this verse, is whether or not the righteousness of God will be produced in you. That's what he says in verse 20. Will the righteousness of God be produced inside of you? In other words, will you look more like Jesus after you've read this book on any given day? Will God's righteousness be produced in you so that you're more in his image, so that you live more for him, so that you're free? Or will you resist it and not be conformed into the image of God and be more conformed into your own image? So instead of being quick to speak and get angry, James says, I want you to receive it. I want you to listen. And then number two, I want you to receive it. He knows the root in our hearts is to reject. There's a root of rejection for God's word. So he says, I don't want you to hear it, but you need to be aware of the fact that you may or may not be receiving it. So number two, when you listen, also receive verse 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be ready to receive it. Be ready to receive it with meekness, with humility, with a soft heart. Don't listen lazy in a lazy or passive way. When it comes to God's word, be ready to listen to it, ready to receive it, ready to be rubbed by it, ready for that implanted word to get deeper into your soul. After all, this is God's voice. When I work with kids, I always goofy take the Bible and I go, wah, wah, God's talking. And I'll tell him what it's saying. Every time you open this book, God is talking. And he's not just talking generically. He's talking to you personally. So James says, sit on the edge of your seat and be ready to hear God's voice speak to you. And as you do, he says, put off. Here's how you're going to receive it. Put off filthiness and wickedness so that the word will get more implanted deep in your heart. What I picture here, what James is saying, is someone who comes to God's word 
whether it's in a public setting like this or private, and says, God, I know there is rampant wickedness in my heart. I know it's there. Oh, please don't let it stop me from hearing your word. I know there's wickedness in my heart. Please don't let it stop me from receiving and doing and living and loving the things you're going to tell me from this book today. It's coming to God's word aware of the fact that there's resistance in all of our souls against what God has to say. So we come to him ready to receive the implanted word. My wife and I, Elsabeth, have a love for gardening, her more than me. So I'm usually the gopher, guinea pig, grunt, while she does all of her gardening magic. This past spring, we built um, another 10 garden boxes. I think maybe there's a picture. I don't know. Um, Garden boxes that uh, I made out of wood for her. And we began to fill them with dirt. Now, you don't just put dirt into garden boxes. Any of you guys gardeners? All right. So a couple people can correct me if I screw this up because she's the mastermind. I just shovel. So the boxes get filled primarily with, with horse manure that we get. So we have mountains of it at our yard, and, and it gets placed into these boxes. And then she mixes in peat moss and vermiculite and all sorts of other things. And what we found was that when we plant a seed into soil in these boxes that have been prepared, we get fruit three weeks faster than if we plant it straight in the ground. It actually happened last year. We had some tomato plants, same day, planted in a box. Same tomato, the same brand of tomato plant, planted just in the ground. Three weeks sooner, I'm pulling tomatoes off the one that's in the box. Why? Because the soil was prepared for the implanted seed so that it produced fruit more quickly. Do you see the picture James is painting for us? Your heart, the more that it is prepared to receive the word, the more that it will take root and you will grow in righteousness and be set free from all the crappy sin that ties us down every day. So what kind of heart do you have? Are you putting peat moss and vermiculite or whatever it takes to uproot the stuff that doesn't belong there so that you're ready to receive what God has as he speaks to you from his word? And this is no small thing. Once again, James is addressing, he says this is life or death. It's able to save your soul if it's implanted and it bears fruit. Your soul will be saved. Now, I know that I, I know some of you a little bit and some of you really not at all. I, I just, I, I felt like I needed to say this at my church when I did this, but I feel like I, I need to say it here in a similar way. I, I do, and I'm sure Albert would agree. Look, I didn't choose to do this, to be honest. God, God said, either you be a pastor, I feel like I would die if I didn't. So it was like no options here. So I don't do this because it makes money or because I enjoy it, although I do enjoy it a lot. But that's there's places when I come to God's Word and I go, I'd rather not say this, to be honest with you. I'd rather say something else. But you need to understand that there's some stuff here that James is saying as we turn this corner in a second here that is perhaps very different than what we believe as Christians about the eternal state of your soul. And how that relates to how you receive God's word or don't receive God's word. And so as much as I feel like my role in people's lives is to bring encouragement, I think it's also sometimes to bring warning. And I'm convinced there's some surprises even as we turn the corner. I don't know how it's been landing on you so far from James, but it's going to get a little bit more rocky in a second. And I think there's surprises 
And I just want to say to you, I'd rather have you be surprised on this day than be surprised on that day. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if there's a little bit here that kind of like does stuff in your heart that you don't like, don't blame me. I think God is graciously warning. Because I think there are people that go to church day in and day out that are convinced they are converted, but they are not. And I don't want you to be surprised on that day. Be surprised today. Don't wait. So James says to us, keep listening up. Are you eager to listen and prepared to receive God's word? And then he changes, says, not only do I want you to listen to it and receive it, but you need to remember it. Like at verse 22. This is a whole mirror illustration. Why does he use this illustration about a mirror? He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once, what's that next word? Forgets. At once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The whole point James is making with the mirror is this, that you can actually encounter God's word and then moments later forget God's word. Don't be like the guy who looks at his face in the mirror, walks away, forgets what he looks like. Now, I don't know how, much, how many people had mirrors in Jesus' day. Well, I have no idea. Did, were there lots or hardly any? Or did you only see reflection? But whatever, for whatever reason, it's look and forget, look and forget, look and forget. Old Testament is full of look and forgets. Deuteronomy 8 is a beautiful passage. I wish I had time to take you there about God's warning. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. He says it over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. Why? Why would God warn us to not forget? Because we're forgetters. You're going to lay your pillow on your head tonight and you're going to forget 99% of what I've said this morning. I'm going to forget 95% of what I said this morning. <laughs> Honestly. Tomorrow somebody will say, what you preach on? I don't remember. I, I can't remember what. James, I think. We're forgetters. We're not the smartest people in the world. So James is saying, don't forget the word. So I gave you a little handout this morning. I don't know if you're note takers. I would forget everything from anything I ever did if I didn't take notes. So I encourage you, if you're not a note taker, start being a note taker because I think it helps you to remember. I also encourage people to memorize God's word. It helps it to get implanted in our heart so that we don't forget it. And you can memorize God's word. You can. I have a little card that I, I'm keeping with me right now, trying to memorize another little verse. If you say it a million times out loud, you will memorize it. A million and a half for me, a million for you. Over and over, you will memorize it. And it will be something you then can remember. And then it gets implanted, I believe, into your heart. So I encourage you, memorize scripture. Do what it takes in your life every day to be a rememberer of what God has said to you. But what's really interesting here is what he pits against forgetting. Because even though I do believe we have to remember, he doesn't say, if you look at verse 25, being no hearer who forgets, but a rememberer. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he pit against forgetting? Doing. 
So in his mind, if you didn't do it, you forgot it. So quote all the scripture you want. But if you don't do it, you've forgotten it. And this is where James really starts to crank it up. For the good of our souls. For the sake of your eternity, he begins to crank it up for us. And he says, you must not just be a hearer and a receiver and a rememberer, but you've got to be a doer. So look what he says, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like the man who looks at his face in the mirror. He forgets it himself, what he looks like. He goes away. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, we'll talk about that in a second, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he is blessed. Don't skip over that. This is your God. You learned something about God this morning. He blesses. He blesses. He'll bless you in your doing. So he tells you, hear the word, receive the word, remember the word, and then do it, live it. So in other words, when you come to this book, which I pray you do on a regular basis of some kind, when you come to this book, you should make some sort of change as a result. It might be a change in how you think or feel or believe. It might be that you change what you love or how you're going to spend your time or how you prioritize your life. It could be you're going to start doing something or stop doing something. It could change how you talk or how you pray or how you eat or how you think about sex or a new habit you need to put on or a pattern or a habit you need to put off. Action should take place in your soul. The result should be some sort of action. And these verses come with a warning that if you don't do what you receive, you are deceived. Do you know anybody who's deceived? You ever know somebody who, who thinks they're something and then everyone else knows they're really not? I'm a great musician. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you think you are, but everyone else knows you're not and they're deceived. James is saying to us, be careful, because you can think it's all good, but if you receive it and don't do it, you're tricked. Your soul is tricked. It's deceived, and you don't know it because you're deceived. Scary. I don't know if there's a scarier place to be than to think you're something, born again, and you're not, because you've never been a doer of the word. So James goes on, verse 22, Read it already. Be doers of the word and not hearers only so you're not deceived. And then he, he's going to bring in this other angle, which I love. Because he not just says you will be deceived, but he says you'll be blessed if you do it. Verse 25 uses this phrase for God's word. He changes words. You should ask yourself, why didn't he just say the word word again? Why did he change to this phrase, the law of liberty? I don't think that word, that phrase, law of liberty, is anywhere else in scripture, James. Why? James, why? Why? You ask James questions. Ask God questions when you get to his word. Why'd you change the phrase? And I think he wants to change the phrase because he says, listen, you will be blessed when you do the word by being set free. That's why he says the law of liberty. You're free. You can think, and I've sat with young people especially who cannot get this through their head, even if I say it point blank, God's word is not necessarily about do's and don'ts, it's about you being set free by what you do and don't do. There's a huge difference. He wants you to be free. 
So he says, I'm going to put in writing for you my thoughts about how to live so you can be free from everything that trips you up and ties you up and traps you and distracts you and destroys you. I want you to be free. So listen to it, hear it, receive it. Remember, do it so you can be free. So the blessings, he says, you'll be blessed. You'll be free. You'll persevere. Righteousness will be produced in you. And in the end, your soul will be saved. See, hearing God's word is not enough. Memorizing God's word is not enough. Gathering God's people to listen to God's word preached is not enough. We must be doers. The the preaching moment that we're in right now is not the most important moment of your week. The most important moment of your week is when you are confronted as to whether or not you will do the word or not do the word. That is your most important moment of every week. When the word that you receive here or on your own begins to get implanted and then you are faced with a choice, am I going to do it and live it or not? That is the moment. That is the moment that will either show that you are genuinely converted or not genuinely converted. Will you be a doer of the word or a hearer only? Now listen, I'm 49 years old, and if I've done the math correctly, I've heard 1,400 to 2,000 sermons. Read my Bible several times through, went to college, seminary, the whole Bible thing. But what James is saying here is I could do all of that, listen to messages, preach messages, and still be deceived and go to hell forever. That's what James is saying. Now, let me be very careful here. So so listen. Doing the word does not save you. Tracking with me? Doing the word does not save you. According to verse 21 and 18, it is when God implants the word into your heart and brings you forth and makes you born again. God saves you. Jesus saves you through his life, his death, and his resurrection. That is how you are saved. And listen, the word doesn't save you. This book doesn't save you. You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it's by them that they bear witness about me. So listen, it's not the book that saves you. It's not doing the word that saves you. Jesus saves you. Jesus saves you. We listen, receive, and remember the word so that we can see more of Christ and behold Christ's glory and be transformed into his image. So I encourage you, if you read God's word, that when you do, don't stop reading until you've encountered the glory of Christ in some way. Because that's where the transformation is going to come and the motivation to do what he tells you to do. This book is about Jesus. Before it's about doing But when you encounter Jesus, you're going to want to do. Because he sets us free. That's what he loves to do. So the proof that I have been genuinely converted or brought forth is that I do the word. The evidence that the word has been implanted in me is that I live the word. So make sure I'm clear. I'm not saying, and James is not saying, that doing the word saves you. But what you do or don't do with the word will show if you are genuinely saved. So are you a blessed hearer of the word or a deceived hearer of the word? Which is it? We like to say that you are saved by faith alone, 
But the faith that saves you is never alone. It comes with life change. It comes with the difference in how we live our lives. So I want to ask you this morning, very two basic questions. I think they're on the handout that I gave you. And it's simply this. And I would encourage these questions to be two questions that inform how you disciple one another and how you live your life. What is Jesus saying to you? In the last week, month, year, I don't know what it's been. If you're genuinely converted, the Spirit of God, Jesus is speaking to you. Primarily through his word and through people and just directly. But what is he saying to you and what are you doing about it? What are you doing about the things that you've heard and say you've received? Are you living them? It's interesting that James gives us an illustration in verse 26. He goes back to this idea of what we say. He says, but if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, here we go again with this deception, the person's religion is worthless. You're deceived and your religion you're going to church, you're reading your Bible, has no worth in your life. Now, it's funny how different this can be from how I think. He's saying this guy is in worse shape than the guy who never goes to church or hears God's word preached. Do you hear that? So there's somebody right now in Frederick, lying in bed, hangover, Never goes to church, doesn't want to go to church, doesn't read God's word. And God says here that he, that you, if you hear the word and don't do it, that you are actually worse off than him. Why? Because he's not deceived. He knows he doesn't love God. He knows he doesn't love God's word. There's no deception in his heart. God's warning is, you're worse You are worse off. It's funny how we think. We get everything backwards from how God thinks about things. We think of the unbeliever who never goes to church, maybe the atheist, the guy who hates church. We would say their religion is worthless and deceived. But God says it's those who actually hear the word and don't do it that have worthless religion and are deceived. And is that not what the world hates about the church? It calls us hypocrites. Why? Because we don't do the word. We say one thing and then we live differently. James is saying, it's got to stop. You got to examine your heart. Do you hear it and get excited about it and never do jack about it? That should be a red flag in your own soul because you could be deceived. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you heard the word? You received the word. You remembered the word. And then you made some decisive decisions based on God's word. So Matt, are you saying that if I can't remember a time when I took a decisive action after hearing and receiving God's word, that I'm deceived? I'm not saying that. God is saying that. Not me. James is saying that to you through God's word. 
I think God is saying to us that every time we come to God's word, we should be expecting for something in our hearts to change. Find strength for persevering. Find joy in a struggle. Repent of a sin. Put on a new good work. Something is supposed to change when we receive God's word. Every time we hear it, we should be eager to listen, ready to put down our defenses, wanting it to change us from the inside out, lest we live in deception. So the question that James has for you this morning is how seriously do you take the word of God? And is it possible that God has been speaking to some of you individually and corporately about ways that you should turn the corner? And it's time to take action and to do what God has been telling you to do. And I want to end with just this because we've got to end hopeful and on God. How kind of God to give us his word. You know how screwed up I would be without this? I wouldn't know God. I wouldn't know what's wrong with me. I wouldn't know how to come to him. I wouldn't know what he's about. I would be a wreck, a mess. Which explains why anyone you know who doesn't know Jesus might be a wreck and a mess. How kind of God. How kind of God to bring us forth by his grace from his word. He didn't have to do that. Didn't have to give us his word. Didn't have to bring us forth by his word. His spirit allows you to hear his word and remember his word. How kind of God is to do that? He's not obligated to do that, but his spirit's eager to help us see Christ in his word. And how merciful of him to set us free so we don't have to live for us and all the stuff that tears us down. Instead, we get to be set free from all of that so we can live for him the way he created you to live. He created you to live this way. And anything short of that is going to be misery. So read it. Listen to it. Believe it. Receive it. Love it. And live it to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. So what I want to do, I, how, when do we kick, are we already getting kicked out of here? What are the rules? No rules. No. Did I just go way too long? One more song. We have one more song. Okay, so I'm going to ask, Tyler's going to come up. Can I ask you to do this? Um, can you guys set countdown clocks? Can we do three minutes of just you and God time? All right, let's do 25 minutes. I'm joking. If we had five minutes, I'd like to do five, but if we don't, listen, I understand Okay, you guys would think, I get paid to spend time in God's word and other things still get in the way from me sitting and enjoying God. And so I know that's true for everyone in this room, that it is a freaking battle every day for you to find somewhere to go where you can get rid of all the distraction. Just go, God, it's just you and me. Let's just talk for a few minutes. So let's do it now. Can we do that? Five minutes. You've got a handout. And there's two questions. I don't know if they're going to be on the screen on your handout. What has Jesus been saying to you in the last week, month, year? What's he saying to you? 
Back it up with the word. Don't say he's telling me that I should go enter the lottery to win a million dollars. And I've been neglecting to do it, God. No. So make sure what, you, what you're hearing, filter it. Okay, good. That's really from God's word. And then ask yourself, ask the Spirit to help you. What am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Do you want to live for Christ? <laughs> ask him what he wants you to do and be doers. Living hope, be doers. Whatever that next step is, turning that corner, go be doers. Do what God's calling you to do. Move ahead in faith and enjoy the blessing and the freedom that comes with it. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I ask that your spirit would descend on my friends right now as they spend a few minutes with you. Speak to them, Lord. Speak very clearly. Show them exactly what it is you want them to do and then give them the faith and the joy to do it. I pray that every person in this room would be a hearer and a doer. I pray, Lord, they could look back on their lives and see different moments where they did what they didn't want to do because they knew it was right and that that will even give them more confidence that you're working in them. So bring hope, bring joy, speak loud to my friends, help them to hear you speak to them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.